And so what, where is perfection found? Right? That's the question. Where do you think perfection is found? I don't know if you guys realize that we're all after perfection. Yeah. We're all after it. It's wired into us. You can't actually get rid of it. Yeah. You can try to trick yourself. We play games with ourselves. I don't know if you yeah. guys realize it. We try to trick ourselves into thinking things, believing things, and, and getting it right. Yeah. Well, you can't do that. And so you can never lay down the desire to have perfection. You can try to trick yourself into not caring, right? But then that will result in you not caring. And you won't be happy with that either. Because you'll feel like something's wrong if I don't care, right? What, 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 you, what happens is, is you realize perfection is not found in behaving perfectly. It's not found in behavior. It's not found in situations. It's not found in circumstances being a certain way. Perfection is not found in circumstances being a certain way. It's not found in things going a certain way. Perfection is found in union with God. That's where perfection is found. Now, once you realize that you're one with God, and that is perfection, then you find yourself feeling contentment. Right? Until you feel that, until you find that, you're wandering, seeking satisfaction. Right? So, glory to God. What do you guys... What's on your hearts today? It's Resurrection Day. Anybody got any thoughts? Well, I mean, we are all always seeking for perfection, yeah. but it's in the wrong things. It's what we see in the world, in our bodies, in what we do, in how we do it. Yeah. Found too, whenever you do find the new thing that you want to focus on, the perfect area you want to focus on in your life, you then turn that into a judgment against everyone else. You know what I'm saying? You're dieting, so everyone else should diet. You're <laughs> exercising, so everyone else should exercise. Anything. Yeah. Insert whatever thing there, and then you begin to just see everything through that filter. Yep. You know? Very insightful. Insightful. If you're seeking perfection in behavior, in circumstances, in situations, you'll be all the time seeking to behave perfectly, do things perfectly, and you'll simultaneously judge everybody around you if you don't think they are. Right? Just like with driving, you know, I mean, that can happen to you every day where you just encounter people that do not know how to drive and you, you, if they would just drive like you drove, then all would be well, right? Did you? I saw that. I was like, oh boy, don't watch out. (laughs) Uh, How'd that go for you? We were on the interstate, so so. Oh, we got on oh, the interstate. Yeah. That's a brave one. Wow. Yeah. Man, Lacey's all grown up driving around. That's awesome. Yeah. So per- perfection is found in in union with God, not in in things going on around you. If you think perfection is found in things going on around you. You'll always be tormented, and you'll always be trying to perfect everything. Instead of just, as we like to say, what's the cliche? Smelling the roses. Stop and smell the roses, right? Your mind will be busy, right? Like today, what, this will be the first year we haven't got together for Easter? The family? Now that could try to tell me there's something wrong with that. Yeah. And that ain't right. (laughs) Right? And it, it... I have a mindset that perfection is found in us. we got to get together on Easter. And if we don't get together on Easter, we're going to die. Right? And so then I start feeling tormented and aggravated. And then i got to start filling the void. Right? How am I going to fill the void that I feel? Because we're not getting together for Easter. But when I realize that perfection is found in union with God, 
then yeah, sure, I'd love to get together, but if we don't get together, man, I still have God. Right? If you have God, you know what you have? Everything. 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 I remember when God had to confront me with those thoughts. Greg, am I enough? He doesn't say it in a mean way. He doesn't say it like he's disappointed in you. He realizes that he's wired you to desire perfection, and he sees that you're in a world where there is no perfection, and he understands how that can war on your soul, and he can understand how that can cause you to grasp four things. And so he doesn't come and say that to you like you're some wicked stepchild or that you're outside of the, the circle of trust. Right? You know, like the meet the Fockers? Right? You have the circle of trust? We were like a bunch of little Falkers. <laughs> we were outside of the circle of trust. Right? But he, am I enough, Greg? And until you know who he really is, you really don't think he is. No. You know, so that's something you have to come to also. You don't think that he is. You're constantly warring with your own desires and flesh. Yep. Constantly worn with your own desires and flesh. Not really knowing what you're after. Yeah. Right? That's what did it for me when, I reali- when he, he took me to a place where I realized what I was actually after. Right? And I was seeking it through the things in this world. And then he showed me that you can't actually attain to what you're after through the things in the world. Right? And that's when you realize that they're done. That doesn't mean they can't be enjoyed. It just means they're done towards the end goal of feeling satisfaction. Right? They're done towards that end. Right? You can still enjoy them and still have fun doing it, but they can't satisfy you. They can't fill you with contentment. right? We grew up in a society that all the time talks to you about your dreams. Your dreams. Listen, man, you cannot find your dream satisfied through things in this world. I don't care how good you can get it. I don't care. The loftiest thought you have in your mind right now, there's some of you young guys that haven't been out in the world yet and aren't doing things that, man, maybe you'd rather not be doing. Right? The loftiest thought you can have in your mind about what would be the perfect life for you can't satisfy you. It can't. You can get it, and it won't satisfy you. And man, it'll save you a lot of pain and suffering if you come to that place right now. Right? Because you won't be tormented as you go through life. You'll get a revelation now. It can't satisfy you. The loftiest thing you think, the thing you think perfection is found in, can't satisfy you. Because the thing you're actually after is an incorruptible life. You're after a life that doesn't feel weakness. You're after a life that can't be stolen from. You're after a life that doesn't need anything. You're after a life that is so much that even should it encounter death, it overcomes death. You're after a life that can even glorify this physical body with immortality. You like how you feel right now, Noah? You look like you feel pretty strong. (laughs) You want to feel like that forever? I bet you do. (laughs) Guess what? There's nothing you're thinking of in this world that can give you that. Right? And so you you come to the place where you realize perfection is found in union with God. Perfection is found in His life. The only thing that, what you're really after is an incorruptible life that can't suffer weakness, that can't be stolen from, that can't be added to, that can't be taken from. That's what you're after. Now, where can you find that kind of a life? I've only seen that kind of a life one time. You know where it was? When Jesus came out of the grave. That's when I saw the life that I was after. And I see that it's in that guy. Because I see that guy had all weakness, all death, all lack, all turmoil. He had everything in him that I'm all the time trying to avoid so I can have a perfect life. Well, I see that he didn't try to avoid any of it, and he had a perfect life. (laughs) What? 
It boggles the mind. And so then you're, you start jumping to, well, where did he get that life? Where did that life come from? And then you realize that life is found in the Father. And now what happens is, is your heart starts seeking the Father, not because someone told you to seek the Father, but because everything you've ever longed for, you see it's in him. I promise you, you're chasing where whatever you think the life you want is found in. You're chasing it, and ain't nobody can keep you from it. Right? You will knock people out the way. It's like Seinfeld, where George Costanza was at that children's birthday party, and they yelled, fire. <laughs> and he's knocking the kids out the way. The mothers and the kids, he knocks all of them out the way so he can be the first one out the door. That's what will be born in our heart towards the thing that we want. Right? Whatever we think can satisfy us, that's what we're going to be going after like gangbusters. And so God don't come and tell you, you should seek me. What he comes and does is he shows you the thing that you're after is in him. And then what happens is, is you're running into each other's arms. Right? I feel like we're so thick-headed. That's a difficult message to receive without, without constantly noticing that you are never satisfied when you get what you want. Because I know as a young man, I would have been like, dude, whatever. I would have heard that message and just been like, whatever. But hearing that message and then seeing these clear indications that you are never satisfied, then you're reminded of the message and you can actually receive it. And maybe maybe a young person can, and I'm just thick-headed, but I would have I've never been able to receive that as a young man. Yes, you are thick-headed. No, I'm joking. I'm joking, man. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm the chief of all thick-headed people. Trust me, no one's more thick-headed than me. But now that God's wrapped my heart around his life, I'm thick-headed towards that. And I don't really care what people think about it, right? And I, don't really, I don't really care if people like that my head is wrapped around that, right? Because I know where life is found. I'm not going to subject myself to people that don't know where life is found and, and subject what I'm going to say based on the whim that they think they need, right? Imagine God subjected what we needed to what our thoughts about were what we needed. Thank God he loved us enough to give us what we needed, even when we thought we needed something else. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Thick-headed. Yeah, I remember God's, this is how it went for me. When I thought I didn't have what I needed. And I was, nobody knows the trouble I see. First, I spent a long time trying to get God to give me the things that I said I needed. And I thought I could work that and it'll be good. Then I did everything that I thought needed to be done in order to get that. And I did it perfectly. Like Paul would say, I was according to the law, blameless. I worked all the principles and I still didn't have what I needed. So then I was sorrowful. And then God comes and finds me pouting in the corner by myself, right? And Greg, yes, Lord. Man, do you have me? Yes, I have you. Greg, then you have everything. You don't feel so happy about that at first. <laughs> it's still kind of sorrowful, right? Because you're still suffering what feels like a death in your heart. A death to all the goodness you thought you could suck out of the things you wanted. Right? And that, there's a sorrow there. There's a grieving. It's like a cross moment. where you're, It's like you're nailed to the tree like Jesus was. Where you're dying to the life that's in the world that you thought could give you what you needed. And there's a grieving over that death and you can feel sorrowful for a moment but I'm telling you the joy comes right when you start realizing now when I say I have God and that means I have everything you see my face lit up 
Because I've been persuaded that I have everything in God. Because once I started walking down that path, I started finding satisfaction born in my heart. For the first time in my whole life, I was the most discontent person that ever lived. I do know what you mean. I do know what you mean. Listen, some people don't have what the world would call ability, right? Like the world judges people by the ability they think they have to do things, to accomplish things, whether it be sports, academics, whether it be any type of field, right? The world judges people like that. Well, I was the kind of person that I had a lot of ability. I could do all kinds of stuff. And so there was no end to me thinking I can use this ability to maximize my potential. And in maximizing my potential, then I will gather to myself the perfect life. And I was going after that at like the age of what? Four? Five? (laughs) I mean, perfection was found in winning every game. Perfection was found in winning everything. Doing it perfectly. I would sit outside and shoot baskets. And I wouldn't go back inside till I made 100 three-pointers in a row. Oh, wow. How long do you think I was out there for? A long freaking time. Right? What perfection was found in me maximizing my potential to be a basketball player. If I can be a basketball player, if I can get a scholarship, if I can go to the NBA, then I can gather to myself the satisfaction in the life I'm longing for. That's a lot. You guys ever looked Michael Jordan in the face? How satisfied does he look? He looks like an upset, bitter man. If you ask Michael Jordan if he'd lay everything down for one day with his father that passed, what do you think he'd say? You better believe it. And what if you come and told Michael Jordan he could see his father again? He could have a day with his father. You think that frown on his face would be turned into a a smile? You see, no, no matter how great of a basketball player he was, no matter how many championships he won, how many MVPs he won, no matter how many gold medals he won, none of those things could keep his father from death. None of those things could actually give him what he wanted. You, uh, you mentioned content. So, like, I visualize content to be you're settling for something less. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a cuss word. <laughs> elaborate on that. I guess that's like when people tell me just like find content. Like I just feel like that's just well, I'm just settling for the easy path. Cont- uh, well, it's not real easy, is it? You try to be. You try. <laughs> I know it's not easy. <laughs> that's actually the most difficult path. I feel like that's that's harder than I guess seeing God is being content, or at least that's what I, I think it is. Yeah, content means to be satisfied. To see that your cup is filled up already. Right? It's the, it's the inability to uh, believe you lack in any circumstance. Right? Doesn't mean you, you might not feel pressed in on, but it's the inability to conclude that you lack something that you need in the midst of that. Right? So Paul said he learned to be content whether he abounded or whether he was abased. So whether he had everything going right or whether he had everything going wrong, he learned to be content. And what he's saying is he saw that everything he desired was contained in union with God. And no matter whether he had everything going the right way or everything going the wrong way, he still had God, right? And there's no lack in God. He saw the fullness of the stature of his life had been filled up in God. And that there was no more room to add to it. And it had been filled so much up that nothing could be taken from it. 
So he found himself feeling satisfied, right? But Paul says something interesting. See, you and I, and probably some other people, we would con- connect contentment with not doing anything. Yes. But Paul would come and say, see, Paul, that's, that's the carnal mind. Well, Paul would come and flip the carnal mind upside down because he said he learned to be content whether he abounded or whether he abased. And then he also went on to say, I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Right? And so what Paul's describing is a supernatural strength that fills your life up when you find yourself satisfied in the life you have in God. It's not unto laziness or unto not doing things. It's actually unto you doing more things than you ever did before. Because we can just do this experiment. How, many, how much can you do if you're the power behind your life? Well, you can do a lot based on the world standard. I, I did a lot when I was the power behind my life. I was a, you know, I mean, at the height of it all, and I was like, I was still like 30 years old. I would run 160 miles a week. I would work out with weights twice uh, a day. I would go work a full-time job and work like 55 hours a week. I had a wife. I had to take care of the house. That's a lot of stuff I was doing, right? But Compare what you can do if you're the strength behind your life with what you can do if God's the strength behind your life. It makes sense that it was your strength that was your weakness. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely that was my weakness. Because I could deceive myself into thinking I could do some things. I mean, we got the pool table. My parents bought us the pool table. A nice slate pool table. Man, you think I didn't play pool 50,000 hours a day? When I was 15 years old, I used to go down to Bourbon Street and go into the clubs there and hustle grown men. That's how good I got, right? Because I just had an ability. I could just do these things. Well, you can be deceived if you think your ability can get you somewhere, right? It's almost more—it's almost a greater temptation when you think things are going good for you because you got it right. Because <laughs> you're looking at your ability and you're thinking, man, look what I got done. In fact, the devil will come and point at that. I was going to say, whenever I think of contentment, I always think for myself, like, we're totally the opposite, <laughs> first off. Um, no matter what I do, I'm happy. And so it's like, I feel like now that I feel I have found contentment, no matter what I'm doing, I'm, I'm happy with it. And I enjoy life, and I enjoy doing it, and I don't ever feel... I mean, if you look at my life compared to what the world says I should be doing, it's totally the opposite. But I'm happier now than when I was doing mm. the other. Yeah, because you found peace inside instead of outside. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to me, I'm like, I don't care what anybody says. I enjoy everything I do these, you know, today. Hallelujah. Yeah, most people are seeking peace externally instead of internally. Contentment would look like you found peace internally. Right? And you're no longer doing things to find contentment. Right? You're doing things because you want to. That's the difference. But yeah, for me, a long time in America, can, the word contentment's a cuss word. Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe that's where I have found it to be. Yeah, that's a sin. Right. I remember having a conversation with a guy about that. He was also in the service, and that word was like a cuss word. To him. Like settling or something. Yeah, the same that's kind of a deal. Yeah, that's, that's how I that's how I visualize content to be. You're just. Settling for something that's easier. Life passes you by. Yeah. Life passes by. No, it's that you found the life you were always looking for. Mm-hmm. So imagine you found what you were always looking for. What would that feel like? Peace. Peace. Does that mean you would never do anything ever again? You'd actually do way more. Yeah. 
It's like when I, in Colorado, I did all, I did lots of hikes, and I, I hiked a lot of 14ers, <coughs> and uh, I remember hiking Long's Peak, um, and that's like an eight-mile hike up and down, and when we got, and you got to climb, the last part of Long's Peak is like a, a flat iron that is like up, and you got to like climb, and you up at like 13,000 feet, then I don't know if you've ever been up at like 13 or 14,000 feet, but you feel like you're going to be blown off. Right, like you don't feel like you're on solid ground, and so you got and there's ice up there even in August, and so we got to the top of that thing, man, and you you don't even know if you can stand up because you feel and it's flat at the top and it's like a mile wide, but you stand up and you feel like the wind's just gonna blow you right off like a leaf. Well, you get up there, there's a registry up there where you can sign your name, right? And when you get to the top, you feel this sense of satisfaction because you did it. Right? That's contentment. How long did it last? It didn't last very long because then, you know, that, that I did the hike with the Marine. And the Marine had uh, eyes for my girlfriend at the time. And so <laughs> she is all the time telling him I was an endurance athlete. And so he was all the time trying to break me. Right? So we, we raced up that thing and then we raced down. And I'd only been in Colorado for a month. And so I had not acclimated even to 5,000 feet yet. But he didn't break me, but I had altitude sickness for three days after we got to the bottom. So no, that feeling of contentment did not last very long. <laughs> it did not last very long. But him and I used to go do these relentless hikes, and we called it aggressive downhill running, where we would drop five, six feet at a time and just whoo, fly down the thing, dodging trees and, and stuff. But yeah, that's contentment. I feel satisfied. See, no, I'm not doing anything more. I'm not doing anything anymore to get satisfaction i've already been satisfied and everything i'm doing is born from having already having all things instead of trying to get some things right that's that's the difference but i would say i do more now than i did when i was trying to satisfy myself right i mean if i just look at the church here we have a bible study in the morning i'm going to preach a message uh after this bible study monday morning i do a bible study wednesday night i do a bible study i just about to add another bible study in there we're going to add another podcast. Well, I'm going to sit in here Sunday after church for three hours and record a podcast with another guy. I mean, I'm doing more than I ever did. But I'm not trying to be satisfied. And I'm not trying to accomplish anything. Right? Because you love it. Right. I see that this life is the only life that can satisfy. And I know that I'm not unique to anybody else. Everybody wants to be satisfied. And since I found the thing that satisfies, I'm going to tell everybody. Right? You guys ever heard the cliche that life is fragile? Especially it's always when somebody's like on their deathbed or somebody's dying, you know, life is life is so fragile. Life is you have to, you have to take every day, you know. Yeah. They say it all the time. Or I've heard it many No, times. absolutely. I mean that's a cliche that's used all over the world. Life is fragile. What do you guys think about that cliche? How do you I mean, think it affects you if you think life is fragile? I guess when I think of like stuff like that, I just I become more thankful of the people that I interact with because you don't know. If, I mean, like everybody says, you don't know if that's going to be the last time you're going to see that person, or you're more uh, you're more, I guess, uh, like aware of. I'm not trying to use I'm using the wrong word, but like you're you take. Uh, the time that you have with people more serious 
instead of just like, oh, hey, bye, all right, see you later. Like you really make eye contact or something, you know, you like really attach emotion to when you're having a conversation with them and not just something simple. Do you think that makes relationships heavy? I think it makes it more uh, like having a relationship that's more emotional can more meaningful like how much that means to you yeah yeah but what if you're just sitting with somebody and you're not talking I mean that, there's nothing wrong with that either yeah here's where I felt like it was going was kind of like made me think of in poorer areas the crime rates are up because people are desperate they don't have that life that they need and then they do terrible things and we're all capable of that and uh, if we all could receive this life that we've been given, then we could all have peace. And the ultimate thing is, is that. And we don't realize it, you know, because we're after all these tangible things that we can see and touch and feel. Which I think that's why we say that it's easy. Because it's there. The other thing is more complicated. You know, which makes it seem like it's more difficult. But, and that's why I say I had to keep receiving that, or having that clear indication that those tangible things are not what I'm looking for. Like that had to fail many, many times before I was like, clearly there's not just one other thing. Because, Greg, you have all these abilities. And so, okay, that didn't work. Well, it's good to have more abilities in my backpack here that I can just keep pulling out. That one didn't work. That one didn't work. That one didn't work, you know? I remember you said something to me. You're like, yeah, listen, man. I'm sure there'll come a day when I need the gospel, but right now I'm like 27 and I'm strong and everything's going well. <laughs> just being honest. Yeah, no. No, that's a, that's a good thing. Do, you, do we think that God's life is fragile? No. It's like having a rich dad, give you anything you need, you know. Or wanting to keep your kids in the bubble. So that the world can't hurt them. You know, when they start wanting to hop in cars with other kids, you're like, you know, I want to know your destination and I want to know what the plans are and when you're going to be home. And like, I mean, just in the news, um, there was a 15 year old in, in Picayune that died this weekend. He was 15 in a tragic accident. I'm like, I don't want them to go and think they're, you know, going to have the best time of their life in a tragic accident to happen. Mm-hmm. Of so course you don't want life that. is fragile as a mom of teenage boys <laughs> yes how's that working out for you though yeah, how do you feel that's, i feel burdened yeah do you think that that's what god wants for you no. to feel burdened no. do dad you doesn't feel burdened <laughs> what's that the dad doesn't, doesn't feel burdened she does all the worrying for you that's exactly right. <laughs> she does enough for the whole family <laughs> What, do you think that's having a positive effect on them? Or do you think they can see the burden in your face? The fear? Yeah, probably. Do you think that that's having a positive effect on them? Not just in their life personally, but in them seeing you hurting. I don't think I've ever thought of it as me hurting. you never thought of it as you? How, does it feel nice when it's happening? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you let them take that risk. You know what I'm saying? Then that doesn't feel good at all. Like, he wrestled this year for the first time. And, like, I seriously cried watching the first match. Like, 
seeing him, he wants to go out there and let this other guy torture him for six minutes, you know? It's like, I don't, I want him to be protected. He's a glutton for punishment. <laughs> yes. so I always feel like if I can inflict enough of my fear on them, it will make them more careful. And then right. at all. If you can inflict enough of your fear on them, that that will make them more careful? Yes. And then I try and tear those fears. It doesn't work real good. Well. It doesn't work very well, no. Do you, so, what would God's answer? What like would God? What would God's answer. answer be? Do you think that God wants corruption to come upon your kids' lives? No. So, do, what what would God's answer be to protect their life? Yeah, trust in Him. I was going to say the the moment that I started feeling those same feelings of oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and it was, I mean, terrorizing me. I just said, fine, God, he's yours. <laughs> and now when he leaves the house, I'm like, he's, he's on your watch. <laughs> and so it's just a crazy feeling because I'm like, I just have, I mean, there's still moments that I like wake up and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's, what if something happens? But then I just have to say, God, he's yours. You know, like I can't, I can't helicopter him. Well, no, you, you can't. And it wouldn't be good for you or for him. Oh gosh, no, because he, he got really resentful. He'll get resentful, and he can adopt fear in his life. How many of us think that a life filled with fear is a positive thing? No. None of us will say that's a positive thing. I mean, well, it could help. <laughs> <laughs> You're still trying to come to Jesus, I think. <laughs> it can help. <laughs> We're all still here. <laughs> we spend so much of our time trying to keep the things we're afraid of from happening. And what we don't realize is we're reinforcing death inside of ourselves when we're doing that. And so I used to spend all my time trying to use God to convince myself the bad I was afraid of couldn't happen. And I thought that's what would protect me from the things I was afraid of. But I found what that did was it planted destruction and fear and all sorts of things in me. And that began working itself out of me. And destroying my life in a number of different areas. And then destroying the people's lives that I'm in contact with. Because if I'm walking around filled with fear, I'm planting fear in the people around me. And we all just said, except for Michelle, that (laughs) fear is not a good thing. Do you think God uses fear to protect our lives? Do you think God thinks, well, a good thing is to get some fear in these guys. And then their lives can be protected? He doesn't think like that. But do we all agree he wants our lives to be protected more than we do? Okay, so what's his solution? I mean, we, we gather together today, and this is why we have this church, by the way, because Western Christianity, the church in America, and most of the church worldwide, we have a historical understanding of Jesus, and we have no understanding of what any of these things are about. And so we gather today to remember the resurrection, but we're not just trying to remember a historical event. What does it mean that this guy was raised from the dead? What does that mean in each of our individual lives? What does it mean for you, Mom? Because, Mom, you're very concerned for these guys' lives. That's normal. You gave birth to them. You see yourself in their faces. Their lives are the greatest treasure and most precious thing you've ever laid your eyes on. Sorry, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's a very real thing you have to grapple with. Now, how does the resurrection speak to that? And is the resurrection God's solution to your concern? And when God is seeing that your kid's life is a treasure, and he's seeing that he wants their lives to be cared for, and he doesn't want anything to happen for them, 
Is the resurrection his answer? And so God's solution is, listen, we can't keep them from death in the world. We can't, even should we lock them up in a hut for all their days, they can get something in the hut and die. A hurricane can, they can die. And so God's like, the life that's in the world is fragile. And these guys are so afraid of death that they're busy trying to preserve a fragile life. And that's making their lives more miserable. Because if you're busy with all your time trying to preserve a fragile life, oh, you're a miserable, miserable person. I promise you, you are. And I don't mean you're not kind or you don't want good. I just mean you're carrying a heavy burden. And so what God's answer would be to your desire for their lives to be protected would be to get his life in them, which is not fragile. And for mom, you, if you're desiring to protect their life, the thing you would want to be planting in them is the word of the resurrection. That's what you would want to be planting in them. And that would have a tenfold effect, whereby not only are their minds being filled with the life of God that overcomes the world, but your mind would be constantly reminded of the life of God that overcomes the world. And when you're encountering that very real fear of what can happen to my kids, because the world's jacked up, your mind would immediately think of, man, God was more concerned of what could ever happen to my kids, and he actually poured his life out into the earth, and his life is dwelling in them, and that life will even cause them to overcome everything in the world. I mean, they're young and impressionable. We have to keep, you know, we still have to... Are you keeping them or are you keeping you? Both. Well, I think you're more likely keeping you. Uh, And you're justifying what you're doing by saying you're keeping them. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean you don't teach your kids about corrupt things going on in the world. But the, the, the main thing you would want to teach your kids is to be able to discern the corrupt wisdom, the corrupt thinking. You would want, like we're talking about today, you would want them to be able to discern that they can't find happiness in other people or happiness in the world or happiness in a job or happiness in any of those things. That's how you would be keeping your child because you would be keeping them from lusting after life through the world. And if they're not lusting after life through the world, guess what they're not going to be busy doing? Running around sleeping with everybody. They're not going to be running around drugging and drinking. They're not going to be running around stealing. They're not going to be running around doing all these crazy things. Because they're not going to be lusting after life through their flesh. That's the best way you could keep them. And so if they're in a situation that is a corrupt situation, and a bunch of these guys are going to do these things, and these things aren't right, your your child could be confronted with quote-unquote peer pressure. Well, they're going to do it. What if I don't go do it? Well, if they've now learned the wisdom of God, they'll find something in them where they say life is not found in going with them. Acceptance is not found in going with them. I don't need to go. Peace. (laughs) See you guys later. If their girlfriend is trying to get them to hop in the sack, 
They'll find something in them where they'll say, man, acceptance isn't found in sex. And so that's the wrong reason to have sex. If your boyfriend's trying to get her to hop in the sack, she'll find something in her. Well, she'll say, well, acceptance isn't found in whether this guy is happy with me or not. And see how that keeps them? And so we go about it the wrong way, trying to keep our kids. And we use fear. We're afraid, and now that fear has taken us captive, and whether we're doing it on purpose or not, or whether we see it or not, that's the method that we're using to keep them, the fear we're filled with. Rather, be honest about the fear you feel. Don't try to keep yourself from it by keeping them, because that's really what you're doing as parents, right? You're so afraid, you're trying to bring yourself peace from your fear. And the way you're trying to bring yourself peace from your fear is by corralling them. Right? Just be honest with what you're doing. And don't try to hide from the fear you feel, but have a come to God moment. And say, I am deathly afraid of this. And allow yourself to be confronted with the worst fear. I, like I said, I used to try to hide from what I was afraid of. Let me use the gospel to convince me that it will keep me from the things I'm very afraid of. That never led to liberty. One day God come to me and said, the thing I was the most afraid of, what if it happens? What if it's true? He brought it out wide open. And you know what he wanted to do? He wanted to bring out the thing I was the most afraid of, the thing I was the most scared of, the thing that petrified me the most. He wanted to bring it out, put it on the table, and then he wanted to come and stand next to it and let me see really how big it is. And you know what happened when he did that? This thing became like, where is it? What? Where'd it go? And God became like gigantic. You think if you had eyes to see God with them everywhere? You'd be afraid? Well, it's e that's easy for us to say, right? I mean, we say that with everything. How big does our problem really look if God's standing there? Right? And so it's like, what is actually parenting? And how, what am I doing to parent? Am I, am I parenting for my benefit or for theirs? What's the foundation that I'm functioning from? Right? And children, you want to have compassion for your mom. This isn't like, well, we're going to use this against mom now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Pastor Greg said. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, 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 no. That's not what this is about. You want to understand that it makes sense that mom feels this way. You don't want to think of what's wrong with mom. You want to think of mom loves me so much. Right? You want to think mom only has uh, what's best for me in her heart. Mom knows more than me. Right now, your brains ain't fully developed. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> and there's a, there's a massive uh, affliction when it comes to underdeveloped brains. Those brains think they know everything. <laughs> An underdeveloped brain thinks it knows everything. I, that was me. I was 10 years old, and the principal trying to tell me what life is about. And I'm like, this clown doesn't know anything. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. At 66, I'm a whole lot dumber than I was at 15. <laughs> you, it's just you at least I thought I was, was smarter. Than yes, you realize. I don't know anything. Right? And so this isn't we're going to use this against mom. This is we understand mom's heart is pure towards us. And mom loves us. And maybe if mom thought that we were more connected with God and thinking of God more and what it means that we're one with God, mom might feel more at peace. So it's a both and situation. Both and. Right? Ask yourself, why does mom not feel peace with this? 
Am I coming alongside of mom to help her? Or am I working against her? Right? But parents, I mean, one of the most difficult things you could do is, is to raise kids. Because their life is a treasure. And the world has all got a million and one different ways that something can go wrong. But I promise you, if you're busy trying to keep the things from going wrong, that's killing you. And it's not producing the fruit of life in your kids. It's producing the fruit of death in them, the fruit of fear in them. It's producing something in them where they start to see you as the enemy. Mm -hmm. And so... I'm not telling you to try to work this out outwardly, but I am telling you that today's the resurrection. You ought to come to God and ask Him and start talking to Him about what does it mean with all, concerning all my fears about my kid's life that Jesus came out of the grave never to be able to die again. What does that mean? Because He did that so that it could be a benefit to you while you're in a world trying to raise kids where a million and one things can go wrong. I would definitely say you've got to change the way you parent a little bit. Raising kids in the grace message, because you can't use fear against them. Fear, manipulation. <laughs> because they know the truth. The law. You know, they know the truth. And so all there is left to do is to tell the, the truth, the whole truth, you know. All there is left to do is to walk with them and help them discern the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Because that's the most powerful thing in their lives. It's for them to know the, what the wisdom of the world looks like and what the wisdom of God looks like. That's the most powerful thing you can teach your kids. That will actually keep them from more of the things you're afraid of. All the destructive things I did in my life that could kill me were all born for me, lusting after life through the world. And had I known, I wouldn't have suffered most of those things that I suffered. And so it's not like, well, I got to get to the place. This isn't, well, Greg said that I got to get to the place where I don't care. No, no, no. This is, we got to take your care and mix it with the thing that can actually be a full effect. And if you're taking your care and mixing it with fear, that's not really effective. Right? And so what would be effective? We know what's the most effective because we see what God did. When God cared about our lives more than anything, the way he corralled our lives, the way he hedged us in and protected us from what could happen in the world is he poured out his life so it could dwell in us. That's the resurrection. So that we could be filled with the life that would all the time pick us up and cause us to stand up, no matter what. And that that life could stand up for all eternity. Right? I feel like whenever, if, if my son were ever in a situation where he's facing peer pressure, if he sees my face in that moment, he will definitely do it. <laughs> but if he sees the face of Jesus in that moment, he will walk away. And so it's like, for me, I just constantly think of my relationship so that he can witness that. Because that's what's going to have an effect more than me being in his face saying... Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Amen. So. Amen. Not because he wants to hurt me, but because it's more fun when you do it despite. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and I needed that just as much being a grandma because I just soon not know when the kids leave the house. <laughs> you know, don't I, I don't want to know you going out tonight because I think you're you're at home and you're safe. That's right. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And you, your kids will go one of two ways in those dynamics. Either they will adopt the fear themselves, and they'll have a fear-stricken life where they're all the time analyzing their lives to see if they have everything that's needed, and that fear will grip their life, or they'll rebel against it. Something in them will, whether they know it or not, their subconscious mind will say, there's something wrong with fear. And they'll start pushing back on anything that's born from fear. And they'll start saying, like you said, I'm going to do the opposite then. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's not healthy either for them. But they have a wiring. A, a life filled with fear is not good. And most of us will say that in other areas where we're free of. How many of you think a life filled with fear of COVID has been good? Do you think it's been good? Why not? It's, it's, it's meant to protect people right. <laughs> from dying. But you can see that, right? Right. Yeah. We always see it in the areas that don't afflict us the most, mm-hmm. right? It's easy for us to talk about it in this area, but when it comes over here to our area, we're like, well, I don't know about that thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> and we're all that way. We're all that way. And so this is where humans get it wrong. We sit with pure desires, and just for the example with the parents, we sit with a pure desire for our kids to be cared for. But then we mix that desire with our own thoughts. Instead of talking with God about our desire, instead of seeing that God has also been a parent and is also a parent, and going to God and talking with Him and saying something like, how do you deal with that? What's going on in you, right? Because we have God, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor. So what we got, parents, is you're not left alone. God's a parent. And he's lived through all of it. And you can take your thoughts about it to him. How did you sort this out? How do you, do you think God's filled with fear? Why not? Because he's God. (laughs) That's obviously true. (laughs) But there's a reason why. Because he sees he has himself in himself a life that can't be overcome by death. He sees he has a life that can't be stolen from. He doesn't think like the world. He doesn't think life and death is found in what happens in the world. He thinks life and death is found in whether a person receives eternal life or not. Life and death is found in whether a person has eternal life in them or not. God's not. Do you think that God's busy thinking that Jesus missed out on life? You know when he was nailed to a tree? He was 33. How many of you think your friend would have missed out on life if he died when he was 33? Do you see the difference in the... We're we're not trying to bring shame to us, but we want to draw a distinction between the way God thinks, thoughts that are from above, and thoughts that are from the world. And so we sit with this idea about life as if a person passes from this life, they've missed out on something. That's why we dream up things called the bucket list. You think God's got a bucket list? (laughs) And if he doesn't have a bucket list, why not? He doesn't have a bucket list because he's got a life without a beginning or an end. That means he's never going to run out of time to do anything. And so this idea that life is fragile, God's life isn't fragile. If our lives are born from the thought that life is fragile, woe is us, we are most miserable people. But if our life is born from the life that manifested in the resurrection, which is that there, that life ain't fragile. How do we know? All the death in the universe came upon that guy's life and he came out of the grave. Shrugged it off. What? 
Like, I'm sure that some guys know a wrestle. You can just, bam, you know? It's like, get off me. Right? And so God's life is not fragile. Well, whose life do we have? And if we don't have a fragile life, then why are we living as if our life is fragile? Thank you. (laughs) Why are we living that way? And I don't mean why do we have a thought. It's easy to see why we have that thought. But let us have that thought and let us put it next to a life that isn't fragile. And let us start thinking like that. You can't miss out on... Eternal life cannot miss out on anything. If you're busy thinking you can miss out on something, or something can be taken from you, you ain't busy with eternal life. You're busy with the life in the world. That, you're already dead. If you're busy thinking you can miss out on something, that is a death thought. That is a thought that is born from death. And so the question is, do my kids know the Lord of glory that has a life in him that conquered death? That's what they need. And am I, have I pointed them to that? And do we talk about that? And do we talk about what it means? That's the greatest thing you can do to care for their lives. That's the greatest thing you could do for their lives when they're away from you. Because that life in them will discern all things. And it will keep them from lusting after things, which could be harmful, right? That's what we want to be busy with. That's what we want to remember out there. What is it about the resurrection? It's that that guy had a life that conquered death. That guy had a life that couldn't be stolen from, that couldn't be harmed, that couldn't come behind, that couldn't miss out. That guy had a life that couldn't be corrupted. He had a, well, that's the life you want in your kids. Imagine if Jesus would have been walking around trying to keep himself from harm. (laughs) Right? Eternal life will keep you from harm. And this is an ongoing thing where you walk with God and you just talk honestly about the things you feel. This isn't like Christianity like we've been taught, where we hear what the right way is and now we got to do that. No, no, no. This is let us have the things we're fearful of in our hearts, let us have those conversations with God. And let us have our hearts discerned by God. And let us see what our hearts are busy with in light of eternal life. And let us see the thoughts in our hearts starting to be shaped by the word of a life that has conquered the grave. Right? Because we'll find fear sent away from us. We'll find lack sent away from us will be filled with a sense of satisfaction. <clears throat> Our kids will be filled with a sense of satisfaction. That's the greatest thing you can give them that can keep them from the destruction that's in the earth. Right? Does that make any sense? What do you think, Joe? <laughs> yeah. It's, hard. It's, uh, it's easier said than done. Like, that's like everybody always says. Absolutely. Um, but I would say... I mean, I feel like that is the best thing. I mean, I don't have any kids, but I, I, I think that's that's pretty wise. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you're never going to be with your kid their entire life to guide them through, through life. Yeah. God, God always is. God always is. I think as mamas and grandmas, the most important thing is to let our heart continually be persuaded that God has our kids and he's got everything that they need. Mm-hmm. And he can give them everything that they need. 
And uh, if we don't keep our hearts being persuaded of that, fear can come in so easily. Better keep persuading them kids too, because they're going to be out there on their own too. Well, that that's that's why you teach your kids about what it means to walk with God, and what it means to talk with God about what's in your heart in light of eternal life. That's the that's that's the, the best thing you can do is to walk with your kids and for them to know that. I don't fault my parents because they always pointed to God, but they didn't know what they didn't know. And so, had I known these things that I know now, I wouldn't have ended up on drugs. I wouldn't have ended up an alcoholic, drug addict, drug dealer. I wouldn't end up dead on a hospital bed, flatlining, needing to be shocked back to life. I wouldn't have had all those destructive years in my life if I would have known where life was found and not found, where acceptance was found and not found. I would have not been lusting after all those things. I wouldn't have gone towards the drugs to try to comfort myself and to try to satisfy the lack that I felt. I would have gone towards God. I wouldn't have been confused that my value was found in my ability. I would have known my value was found in God. And so I wouldn't have felt so much pain when I thought that I didn't accomplish the things I should have accomplished. I would have just been like, yeah, so what, man? There's another race. I remember talking to my dad, and he's like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, hindsight, we could have taken you to talk to somebody, but you had won every single race by like a mile. And so you lost, you come in second in one race. And now your whole life is destroyed? We didn't know that. We thought, so what? The kid got hurt in the race, and he finished second. He still beat everybody but one guy. No big deal. But to me, my whole life was wrapped up in that. And that sent me off on a path of destruction. So you think I needed to be taught not to go on the path of destruction? You think I didn't hear, just say no? That didn't mean anything to me. They tried locking me up in the house. That don't work. They locked you up in the house. Did that work? <laughs> on a chain. <laughs> <laughs> It didn't work still. <laughs> it still didn't work. Greg, you think you'd have been able to recognize the truth? I think that we, our, our idea of recognition is different. Do I think that I would have heard it intellectually and then I would have never had a problem? No. I mean received. No, no, but what I'm saying is the truth could have confronted the pain in every instance the pain came, and it would have kept me. It wouldn't have kept the pain from rearing up, but it would have come and met the pain head on. And it would have kept my heart restored, right? The moment I could have felt lack, the moment I could have felt like afraid, all those things, it could have come. One of the biggest things that destroyed my life was when I was running all the time and, and whooping everybody's ass and setting all these records, I thought it was God in me doing it. And so I thought I was invincible. And it was like, let's see who can suffer the most. Well, I got God. So I can suffer much more than all you clowns. Right? But one of the things he come and told me when I got hurt in that race is he come, the devil come and told me it was never God. It was always you. <sighs> well, I, I can't do it. And so the fear came. But if I'd have known the truth, that that didn't mean God wasn't with me, and that didn't mean any of that, then I wouldn't have felt that fear anymore. And I still could have ran the way that I could have run. Right? I wouldn't have confused my value. With the fact that people were paying attention to me because I could run. I mean, you get college scouts from D1 schools coming to watch you run when you're 10 years old. Newspaper people coming to write articles about you. No one ever paid attention to me but my parents. And so I connected my value to those people paying attention to me. If I'd have known the truth, the truth would have come and confronted that. Right? I'm always like quick to tell the kids because they both really good at certain things you know so because of me knowing that from you I'm always quick to make sure they know that 
that was awesome, you know, whatever, but your value isn't attached to that whatsoever. You know, you would still be loved the same by everybody, God, us, whatever, if it had been, the, you know, the opposite ending. Yeah. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It's called the book of wisdom. It says, wisdom crieth from above. It talks about wisdom keeping the young man from the strange woman. It's talking about the world. The strange woman's the world and the wisdom in the world. And it says that wisdom crieth from above to keep the young man, which means child, man or woman, from the wisdom of the world. So the greatest thing you can do is to fill your kids with wisdom and discernment about these things they're confronted with now. That is the best thing you can do to keep them. And it will actually bear fruit in your life. Because as you're busy with the wisdom of God, it can only benefit you. Right? I mean, I benefit more than anybody from this. This isn't like, well, Greg never feels anything negative. Nothing bad ever happens to Greg. Greg never has a negative thought. And now Greg is here telling all us so we can get it right too. No, 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 no. This is that humans were created to need this truth of every moment of every day. And no one benefits from it more than me. And I find that this truth keeps me. And it will keep you and it will keep them. Right? And we're all confronted with different areas of our lives where we try to keep those things or we can talk with God about Him keeping those things. Which one do you think works out better for us? Us keeping it or God keeping it? Right. And God doesn't despise us if we feel weakness and we don't know how to do it. Tell God you don't know how to do it. Tell God you don't know how to not be afraid for your kids. And then you'll hear his voice saying, what are you afraid of? And he's not saying you shouldn't be afraid. This is why I hate modern day Christianity. And I don't mean the gospel or the church, modern day Christianity. Because we explain God as if God comes and tells us we shouldn't be afraid. Like God comes and says, fear not. As if he commands us to not be afraid. No, no, no. God comes and talks to you. He understands why you can be afraid. He wants you to bear your soul to him and plop out on the table what is gripping you with fear so that he could then minister his life to that spot and pluck the fear out of you by his doing. But we got this thing where there's something wrong with us if we're afraid. We can't go to God if we're afraid because we're not supposed to be afraid. So if we're afraid and now we come to God, he's going to be very upset. Not a true Christian if you fear. That's right. What type of Christian are you if you're afraid? That kind of stuff cometh not from the mouth of God. I promise you that. Right? But understand this. Fear comes from the devil. Fear comes from the devil. If the methodology you're implementing in your life is born from fear, that means it's born from the wisdom of the serpent. Does anybody think anything good can come from the wisdom of the serpent? Okay, so recognize what's going on and say, okay, I got a pure heart. I have a good desire, but let me not let fear take that good desire captive. Let me take this good desire I have to God. Let me have him heal my heart from the fear or send it away from me. And now let me put my good desire into action through the power of his life, right? And you'll see much better, you'll see better, this isn't about getting a result, but you will see better results that way. Because fear does not produce good results. It just doesn't. Fear does not produce good results. (laughs) Fear produces hate, envy, gossip, backbiting, rebellion, rebellion, murder. That's what fear produces. Glory to God. You guys are awesome.